Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. And this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. One of the things I always like to do in our program is to say hello to certain people, certain listeners. And this time, I'm going to say hello to some of our new listeners from WQPH 89.3 in Massachusetts. And the reason why I am saying hello to our listeners in Massachusetts is because I had the honor and the privilege, and I do say that emphatically, honor and privilege to be in Massachusetts, in fact. And one of the reasons it was an honor and a privilege was I was asked to be the retreat master to give a retreat to seminarians at St. John's Seminary in Boston, the seminary for the Archdiocese of Boston. And so I want to say hello to any of the seminarians and faculty who may be listening to the program, but certainly to all of you in Massachusetts on 89.3. And one of the reasons why it was an honor and a privilege for me to speak to the seminarians is, first of all, because they're seminarians. To be in the company of these young men is always inspiring. And to be around the faculty members, especially at St. John's Seminary, was very inspiring to me. Perhaps you recall, sadly, that the Boston Archdiocese was one of those that was hardest hit by the clergy sex abuse scandal a few years ago. Very hard hit. It even resulted in the removal of the cardinal from their cardinal law. And a lot of other sad things happened from that. And yet, yet, as only God can do and the Holy Spirit can do, and this is another reason why it was such an honor and privilege for me to be among these seminarians, yet the seminary now is bursting at the seams. In fact, the seminary for the Archdiocese of Boston, they have to expand the seminary because they're getting so many vocations. That's right. There were over 90 men when I was there giving the retreats. Just think about that. Here you have a, an archdiocese hard hit by the clergy sex abuse scandal. You would think that would so discourage men from the priesthood. And in fact, the faculty told me that at one time, the seminary got down to 17 men. 17 men. Yet, these men who were there, they discerned their vocations during 
one of the darkest, if not the darkest time in the history of the Catholic Church in America, the time of the clergy sex abuse scandals. And imagine that. Out of that darkness, as Christ tells us, light came. And these men, believe me, are beacons of light. I was very inspired by them, inspired by their seriousness, their prayer, their camaraderie, their fraternity. I was treated very, very cordially by the faculty, had a real sense of brotherhood among them for those few days that I was there. I was just honored and privileged by the fact that they even asked me to come and direct a retreat for the seminarians. One of the reasons also that I was very impressed with the men and the faculty at St. John's Seminary in the Archdiocese of Boston was because as I was getting to know the seminarians and speaking with them, you know, at the different meals and in between the breaks of the talks and so on and praying with them, I gradually began to know that many of these seminarians, quite a few of them, much to my surprise and also to my glee and to my hopefulness, they were very much in favor of the liturgy, the Mass being said, ad orientum. This term, ad orientum, is of course a Latin term which means towards the east. In other words, these men were very excited about something that Pope Benedict XVI put in motion with his what was called a motu proprio. In other words, a declaration by the Pope giving permission for something, which in a sense he really didn't have to give permission for, but he did it anyway. (laughs) What he did was he gave permission, or maybe I should say the word would be he gave an encouragement, an urging for any priest that wanted to, to celebrate the Mass, the Eucharistic Mass of the Latin Rite Church, facing the altar. In other words, facing east. Ad orientum means towards the east, and that was the fundamental orientation of the church east and west when it came to liturgy, especially the Eucharistic liturgy. Everybody faced east. Now, after Vatican II, a custom became common in the Latin Rite Church, especially in the Western world, to celebrate Mass, the Eucharistic Mass, the Eucharistic liturgy, with the priest facing the people and the people facing the priest. However, This was never really called for by any of the documents of the Second Vatican Council. It was just something that caught on and kind of grew out of some of the theology that was developing during the Second Vatican Council. But as Pope Benedict XVI says, and he says this especially in his book, The Spirit of the Liturgy, which is a wonderful book on liturgy, he says in there, reminds us that there never was a prescription for this or a precedent for this in the history of the church, for the priest to face the people during the entire Mass, the the entire Eucharistic liturgy. It is just something that caught on after the Second Vatican Council, without any real directive, without anything being mandated in that regard. Pope Benedict XVI was very committed to the proper orientation and spirit of worship. Because he said, rightfully so, that if we are worshiping correctly in the church, that everything else will go well. But if we're not worshiping correctly in the church, then nothing else will really go that well. See, Eucharist, liturgy, the source and summit of our existence, informs all of life, and life informs liturgy. In other words, think of the Eucharist as the hub of the wheel. Life goes in and life comes out. So everything revolves around Eucharist, how we celebrate it, how we see it, what we believe about it. So it has to be right. Everything has to be right there, just like the hub of a wheel. If the hub of a wheel was faulty, all the spokes in the perimeter of the wheel would be faulty as well. The wheel wouldn't work right. So it all depends on the hub, the center, the fundamental orientation. 
Now, Pope Benedict points out that this fundamental orientation of facing east was common to the whole church, east and west. And there were times when the priest would turn and face the people, but there were only certain times during the liturgy, during the Eucharistic Mass. In fact, when there was a church, such as St. Peter's in Rome, that wasn't oriented east and west, in other words, the, the altar area was not facing east, but may have been facing west due to the circumstances of the geography, what would happen is, during the Eucharistic prayer, the priest would actually turn and face the east. But here's the kicker. As Pope Benedict XVI points out, actually he was called Cardinal Ratzinger at the time when he wrote the book, in his book, The Spirit of Liturgy, he points out that when the priest faced east, if the church itself didn't face east, then the people turned with him. The people did not face him. The people turned with him. So that during the high moment of the liturgy, the Mass, the Eucharistic liturgy, the anaphora, as we'd say in the Eastern Church, or the Eucharistic prayer, everyone faced east, especially and at least during that part of the Mass. They all faced east. If the church itself didn't face east, then everyone would turn and face east. Now, what is significant about this? Well, there's lots of things significant about it. For one thing, the proper orientation of the Eucharistic liturgy in particular dictates or influences then how we look at everything else in the church. One of the reasons why we faced east was because that was the direction of the rising sun, in other words, symbolic of Christ, the true light who comes into the world. Also, our faith, as you know, stems from the Jewish faith, from the faith of the Bible, the biblical faith, the Old Testament. In the Old Testament times into the present, the proper design of the Jewish temple had different what we call zones in it or sections that were sectioned off. One of those sections was called the Holy of Holies. And we read in the scripture, the epistle to the Hebrews, as it talks about these references in the Old Testament about the Jewish temple, what it says in the scripture, New and Old Testament, is that the Holy of Holies was a place that was set apart by a veil And only the high priest would enter, but once a year, to offer sin offerings on behalf of himself and the people. So, the only authorized person for the loftiest of reasons, the loftiest of reasons, would enter the Holy of Holies. And the reason is, is because the Holy of Holies was considered to be, mystically speaking, or allegorically speaking, the bridal chamber, in which there would be the meeting point between the bridegroom, God, and his bride, Israel. And the early Christians took up this design because of that same theme, which John Paul II would call the spousal mystery. So the early Christian temple, in fact, the correct word for church is temple, because a temple is a place where something is sacrificed. And indeed, we do have the sacrifice of the Mass, the sacrifice of the liturgy. The early Christians picked up this same design, and they sectioned off the Holy of Holies, which we know today as the sanctuary, where the altar would be. They sectioned it off also by curtains, later on by a communion rail in the Eastern churches, by an elaborate wall that went from floor to ceiling called the icon screen or iconostasis. And on this iconostasis in the Eastern churches, there were three sets of doors. The central doors were the doors that were called the royal doors or the gates of heaven. Only the ordained ministers would go in and out of those doors, like the high priest in the Old Testament temple. There were two other doors on either side of the royal doors called the deacon doors. Those are the doors through which the servers and deacons would go and the clergy whenever there were processions. But the central doors were only for the ordained ministers. And they would enter those doors, face east, in other words, standing at the altar, facing east, as would all the worshipers. But at certain times, 
the ordained minister, the priest, would turn towards the people, but only at certain times. Only when he was bringing something to the bride, as if the bridegroom was coming to the bride to unite or to give the bride something, to fill the bride with life. And those times were the times of Eucharist, the times of the reading of the gospel, the word of God, and of the blessing of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk more about Ad Orientum when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. I'm Father Thomas Loya, a Byzantine Catholic priest of the Eparchy of Parma and host of the program Light of the East, heard on Spirit Catholic Radio. Join me in Omaha on Saturday, October 17th at the Spirit Catholic Radio studios for a morning seminar focusing on the treasures of Eastern Catholicism and how the church, as Pope St. John Paul II said, can breathe with both lungs. Doors open at 7.30 a.m. with a continental breakfast and the morning will conclude with divine liturgy. Tickets are just $5 and are available at Gloria in Omaha, spiritcatholicradio.com, or at the door. That's the Light of the East Seminar, Saturday, October 17th, at the Spirit Catholic Radio Studios, 13326 A Street in Omaha. Come be renewed by the Light of the East. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Tom Lasloya, your host. And again, I'm saying hello to our friends in Massachusetts, especially those listening on WQPH 89.3. And as I mentioned, I'm saying a special hello to those in Massachusetts because I had such a wonderful experience there with the budding potential priests of Massachusetts, the seminarians at St. John's Seminary for the Archdiocese of Boston. One of the reasons I had such a great time is because of this subject of liturgy and the seminarian sense of liturgy and of prayer, most important. You have nothing else, and above all else, the priest is a joyful man of prayer. So prayer is everything. Leading the community in the liturgy, standing between heaven and earth, between God and his people, between the bridegroom and his bride, that is the place for the priest. And so the orientation of liturgy, of the Mass, 
By that I mean the way we're facing, the art, the architecture, the text, the liturgy, the prayers, everything, the gestures, the vestments, everything works together because our faith is very, very integrated, especially when it comes to liturgy. And the young man had a real sense of the importance of ad orientum, in other words, facing east in the Mass. And the reason is, is because the architecture, the art, the layout of the church from the early times of Christianity borrowed from the Old Testament temple, and it gave the context for this relationship of God who is bridegroom and we who are bride. And of course, in Christian times, it becomes Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, the new Adam, and we, the new Eve, the bride. And think about Eucharist. It's the union of the two. It's the bridegroom Christ giving his body to his bride and his bride receiving him and returning herself to him in love as well. And a beautiful reciprocal circuit of love. This is what Eucharist liturgy is all about. And the seminarians had this sense of it, much to my glee, much to my hope. And the reason why I say glee and hope is because, as Pope Benedict said, when the orientation of worship is correct and everything else will go well in the church. I mean, nothing's perfect. We're not perfect on this earth, but it will certainly go well. When it's not right, things will not go well. And the orientation of the Old Testament temple and the early Christian classic church architecture had this ad orientum orientation and these different zones, which gave us the context for marriage, the context for the whole why behind our being man and woman. And in fact, in those days when the church was like that, you really did not have these issues of, for instance, why can't women be priests or even of altar girls? There weren't these kinds of issues that we have today because the order was there. And somehow intuitively, when we worshiped in that particular setting, there was something that we intuitively picked up about the whole order of creation, in particular, man, woman, and where men and women need to be in the liturgy. You see, our, our gender, our complementarity, our sex, meaning male or female, has a revelatory value. It reveals God, and it reveals this entire mystery between God and us. That spells a relationship, as St. John Paul II spoke about, with such majesty and beauty in his theology of the body. So it does matter where men and women are in the church, but it is more understandable when the church art and architecture and orientation is consistent with that order, in other words, with that spousal mystery, that order of Christ the bridegroom with his bride. Another thing that that ushers in is a sense of hierarchy. By hierarchy, I mean that there is something greater than us. In fact, there is a number of things greater than us. Things are actually designed by God in a certain hierarchy. Even heaven has a hierarchy. The thrones and dominations and principalities and angels and archangels and cherubim and seraphim are all set in a type of hierarchy. So there is hierarchy in heaven. Now, sometimes to our American ears, this makes us wince a bit. Well, we have to understand, heaven isn't just like America. (laughs) It's not necessarily how we envision it. It's how God created it. And that hierarchy is made manifest, incarnated on this earth in the church, in the church's sense of hierarchy. By that we mean things that we ascend to that are greater than us. It also means, yes, the actual hierarchy as we know it. A pope, a bishop, or patriarch, the priests, the sisters, and and even the different hierarchy of saints. You know, there's actually a different hierarchy of saints. Yes, the highest being 
the prophets, of course, the mother of God being the highest, and the prophets, the apostles, the martyrs, the venerables, the unmercenaries, and so on. So there's actually a lot of this sense of hierarchy. Now, why is that important? Because with hierarchy, we know where we stand, where we should stand in relation to people, authority, parents, government, the church. In other words, there is an order to everything in creation, even in creation as made by man. In other words, governmental systems and so like that. These systems, civilization, the kingdom of God, is manifested on earth through different things that the human beings create. But they create them and they work well when they're modeled after the order of creation that God has woven into this whole design, this whole order, this natural law. So hierarchy gives us a sense of where things are at and where we are in relation to that. This results in respect for authority, in peace, in harmony, in discipline. And all of that we can find in the context of the church, of the church's proper liturgy and proper orientation, its proper wording, its proper chant, its proper gesture. The whole rhythm of liturgy and worship in the church is very, very important. It's very integrated, and it all points to an order of creation, an order of relationship between God and us that we defer to and participate in. So liturgy, and by that I mean every dimension of it, our reverence and understanding of the Eucharist, the orientation of the altar, how we are oriented in worship, our attitude, the art, the architecture, Everything works together to draw us into this mystery of hierarchy, of transcendence, and ultimately of that bridegroom-bride relationship that God has with us. Another thing that was very impressive at the seminary in Boston was the chapel itself, again consistent with the reverence that the young men had for the worship and the prayer that went on in that edifice, in that place of worship. I was very taken in as an artist by the paintings, the artwork, the art, the architecture. Beautiful chapel, very prayerful. And the men, the seminarians, the faculty in that chapel had a sense that was consistent with the art and architecture. If the art and architecture is beautiful, it's very hieratic. In other words, it puts us in touch with the divine, it's transcendent. Well, then so should be our prayer, our gesture, our behavior, our orientation, our attitude. So I was very gratified to see these young men have a sense of what Pope Benedict XVI started to put in motion, or actually, I should say, started to retrieve something was in the church for most of its history until just recently, and that is that fundamental orientation of liturgy, of worship. With that in place, everything else will follow. A couple other things that have happened recently that affect the church east and west are things that Pope Francis is doing. It seems like you've got to really keep abreast of things with him because uh, every week it seems like he comes out with something or he says something that makes everybody say, what? What's going on now? <laughs> and he's a pope that we have to really look at and listen to very carefully so we understand exactly what it is he's saying and is tending to do. Most likely you all heard about the recent document, another motu proprio, in which there was a change in the annulment process. Now, why is this significant for us on this program, Light of the East? Well, in those changes in the annulment process, there was a certain echo of some of the Eastern flavor, the Eastern emphasis and approach to marriage and the problem of when marriages fall apart, when there's difficulties in marriages and people can no longer sustain that and they want to get married again and yet be reconciled with the church. 
What Pope Francis has done is he's brought in a certain pastoral dimension to finding that way, that balance, to preserve the integrity of the sacrament, yet at the same time to pastorally draw people into conformity and harmony with the church. It's important to know what Francis did here, and I believe he was influenced by some of the Eastern canon law, the Eastern approach and emphasis on marriage. It's important to know that what he did here was not make it easier for marriages to break up. That's not what he did. In fact, he oftentimes in his document, the Motu Proprio, emphasized the indissolubility of marriage and that there should not be any laxity in this regard. However, he did bring about a more pastoral approach to helping people come back into harmony with the church when they have been divorced and have remarried but not in the church. Many, many people, perhaps many of you listening to this program, know what I'm talking about. This might be your experience. And in our day and age, as in every day and age, what the church does is it never changes its teaching. Think of it as a tree. A tree stays rooted, but it can bend in the wind to accommodate the wind, but it doesn't displace itself. It doesn't uproot and displace itself. Church is the same way. Pope Francis has not uprooted or displaced any teaching of the church on marriage, its indissolubility, or even on annulment. What he's done is like the tree. He's enabled the church to bend to accommodate the winds of change, the winds that blow around us that sometimes keep people from becoming reconciled with the church. And this is what the church does, east and west. It accommodates itself to the respective and particular factors of the times so that, in Pope Francis's own words, the whole goal here is all about salvation. It's about the needs of people for their salvation without compromising any of the integrity of the sacrament. And this, again, is something that the Eastern Church has looked upon with great admiration, another step towards unity in the church, a unity which we are all about here on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab. And on iTunes, Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!